Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, road repair on less than 20 grand. You can make more money flipping hamburgers at McDonald's, and you're not out in, in the weather. You don't have to worry about getting hit by a distracted driver, and benefits are better. The State Department of Transportation makes its case to the legislature. Plus, we'll hear from the organization looking out for Mississippi cities. Then find out what a new study says about gun-related death in Mississippi. And a year after a monumental women's march, we'll find out what progress is being made and why many are still marching. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. are mounting for the Mississippi Department of Transportation, especially paying for state road and bridges maintenance. In addition, hiring and retaining qualified road crews is a problem. MDOT Director Melinda McGrath says the starting salary for a maintenance worker can be as little as $19,000 a year. She says a bill to remove the agency from state personnel board supervision would allow them to increase salaries and alter job descriptions. Melinda McGrath talks with MPB's Desiree Frazier, about the Department of Transportation's budget request. So as um, far as our budget goes, we're, we are required by law to uh, budget based off of what our uh, projected special fund, fund revenue is. And so we're um, asking for $1.1 billion. What do you think? Um, does it look promising? What did you get last year? Last year it looked like we would be receiving $1.2 billion revenue and that's what we asked for and that's what we got um you know since the dot budget is is a special fund which means the money does not come out of the general fund we generally get what uh what we ask for because we only ask for what we can show historically um we believe you know like gas tax bus and truck truck fees will produce. So you don't get money out of the general fund? All of your money comes from fees and that type of thing? For the most part, all of our funding comes out of those types of a special fund, gas tax, federal gas tax. Um, but sometimes we will get um, money from like M- 
DA to like reconstruct the, the interchange at the railroad for the um, Continental Tire, or or um, uh, geo bonds, revenue bonds issued that the um, general fund actually retires that go for a, a specific project. And one of the issues that you brought up was uh, staffing, that you're having trouble keeping staff. Yes, yeah, so um, we are um, currently about 325 um, vacant pens. And uh, in certain job classes like um, maintenance technicians, construction techs, accountants, engineers, there is a constant turnover, which means we're constantly training people. And, uh, and so that's why we have so many vacancies, because we hire, but, but then as quickly as we hire somebody, one or two more are leaving. And what is the starting salary for someone who does maintenance? 19000 you can make more money flipping hamburgers at McDonald's, and 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 you're not out in in the weather. You don't have to worry about getting hit by a distracted driver, and benefits are better. How are you going to meet that challenge? We hope to uh, get some flexibility to where we can realign these positions. Um, you know, we're bound by law to follow uh, SPBs policies, procedures. And, What's SPB? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, the uh, uh, State Personnel Board. And so there's been some discussions about how to free that up so that that us and other agencies can um, run their agency more like a business, pay workers more and, and, and expect and they will produce more work. Several bills are coming up on the House side to try and help augment the budget, help with some type of uh, transportation maintenance of roads and bridges. Your thoughts on that? Most of those bills that I have seen really don't benefit the State Department of Transportation. They're more for the, for the local roads, and they need help as well. MDOT Director Melinda McGrath. Dick Hall chairs the State Transportation Commission. That's the board that oversees the Department of Transportation. He tells Desiree Frazier the challenges brought on by a week of sub-freezing temperatures should be enough to convince legislators and the public of the value of MDOT employees. These last few days, this ice issue, that snow and ice issue, we've had, we've had people out there. We're, we're, we're over 200 people short in our maintenance. We, it's un, you know, they, they were working under the worst conditions in the world. You can't keep doing that. But we can't pay them enough to keep people on board uh, and and we need to we need to do something about that i mean that's i'm serious quite serious we we've got to do something to pay our people enough to make it to make them we're losing them now to to, to not only we used to lose them to private industry now we're losing them to cities and counties and so forth we don't pay them enough to to get out there and to do the kind of thing that we expect them to do do you think that something can be done with the state of the state's budget well yeah of course it always said something can be done but um, I'm not going to tell the legislature how they're supposed to raise money or, or do it. It's obviously that, that something's, something's going to have to come from somewhere. If the, if the President of the United States 
gets his way with Congress, and they push through a, a new uh, infrastructure program that he's that he's pushing. It's already, we've already been told that we no longer they no longer can expect the overwhelming money for highways to come from the federal government. They're going to expect the, the, st- the states to put up a, a bigger share, a bigger percentage than we have in the past. Where's that going to come from? We don't have enough money to maintain what we have right now. So we're not only going to have to uh, fix what we've got now, we're going to start so seriously looking at what's going to happen in the future and how are we going to fit into that. And looking um, at the current maintenance issues, will the bills that you're hearing about in the House, like diverting sales tax, um, and a bond bill, will those seriously help? The bills that the House so far has passed, no, they're not going to do much for us. They, they're certainly going to help local government, and local government needs help. They need to, they've got the same problems we have, except ours are just a bigger dollar figure. Uh, that, that needs to be done. But I'm anticipating other bills to be introduced that will have some, hopefully some significant effect on, on the needs that Mississippi Department of Transportation has. So I don't think this thing is over with by a long shot. And I understand that MDOT doesn't get general funds. So what type of funding would you be requesting? Well, basically, I, I've said all along what we need to do is increase the fuel tax. It's what 26 other states have done over the last three years. Seven did last year. And it hasn't been increased in going on 31 years now. So it's time to seriously look at some kind of a fuel tax increase. I don't say everything all at once. Take it two or three cents a year for the next four or five years. But that's what most states are doing. It is time to seriously consider that. It doesn't seem from talking to legislators that there is the will to increase any taxes. Well, run it out there and let them vote. Uh, let's, let's see how, how they feel about it. If they, if they don't care about uh, maintaining and building a transportation system that will allow us to compete economically with the other states, then let them vote no. That if they want to build something for the future, then let them vote yes. Coming up, find out what a new study says about another group making their case before the legislature this week is the Mississippi Municipal League. That's a nonprofit organization that represents the cities and towns of our state. Sherry Vise is the organization's director. She says it's a big challenge to keep up with all the legislation that can affect all the different municipalities. There are probably close to 3,000 bills that get dropped. So a lot of what we do is playing defense. We read a lot of bills, even if they're not connected to our agenda items. But we just try to make sure that there's not something inadvertently in a bill that's going to erode authority or home rule for local governments. Uh, but as I mentioned, we do start the session with about four or five priorities. And this year... Um, they're, they're all centered on helping our cities increase their revenue streams. The inco- uh, increase in the diversion of sales tax going back to communities, a portion of use tax uh, is going to be on our agenda. The cities don't currently get that, and that's what's generated from all the Internet sales is use tax. Uh, and then there's some other bills, and, and I will say that none of our bills involve raising anybody's taxes. It's just the state general fund maybe sending more back to the local level. What about economic development? Is the municipal involved when a business is being courted to come to a particular community? We are involved more so on a training level. We, we have some courses on economic development for local officials because when people come into office, and we just had municipal elections um, this past year, 
they need to learn what the role of the local official is. You know, a lot of the big economic development projects are driven from the state level, from MDA, but at some point, the local uh, elected officials have a role in that. So our role is more um, training, and then we, we network with MDA and MEDC on trying to help them understand what opportunities are out there and how to be effective in that role as an elected official. When I've talked with Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman at any election, time, he always says municipal elections are key. It all starts at the local level. It, it absolutely does. Um, and one of the things we've done this past week is is try to recognize the importance of municipal government through uh, the, the governor declaring this week municipal government week. It is, you hear this trite phrase a lot, but it absolutely is where the rubber meets the ro- road. And these are the folks that live where they lead. What's the best way for uh, your average citizen to get involved? short of running for office, but how do they get involved with their local government? Well, obviously, board meetings are open to the public, and so I encourage any citizen that has an interest in going to finding out what's going on to attend their local city council and board meetings and learn about what issues are are, um, involved. Obviously, the best way they can get involved is to vote, to be involved in the election every four years. Uh, This past year, we had some very close uh, municipal elections that were lost by four and five votes. Uh, So voter turnout is always a concern for us, and I know it certainly is uh, for the Secretary of State's office, and we try to encourage our citizens to be part of the process. Sherry Vizay is Executive Director of the Mississippi Municipal League. Sherry, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me, Karen. Coming up, find out what a new study says about gun-related death in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi ranks among the top states with the highest percentage of gun deaths, according to a recent analysis by the Violence Policy Center. The state ranks fourth, with 20 out of every 100,000 people killed by firearms in 2016, the most recent data available. Kristen Rand is with the Violence Policy Center. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood about the report and what the numbers reveal. Just to make a comparison, the number of gun deaths is almost equal to the number of deaths from motor vehicles, even though only a third of Americans own guns, yet 90% own cars. People, I think, are unaware of how many Americans every year die from gun violence, and that's the main point of this report. What are some of the key factors used to say what state will be number one, two, and et cetera? Well, basically all we do is we take the data that's put out by the Centers for Disease Control annually and we just look at the rates and then we put them in order by state. So all we're doing is analyzing the data from the CDC. We're not adding in any additional factors with respect to the actual rankings. 
can you talk about Mississippi in particular? What were the numbers there, and uh, what's the ranking, and what's the connection there? Um, we found that Mississippi ranked fourth highest for the overall gun death rate, and that's a gun death rate of 19, almost 20 per 100,000. And it's important to understand that that's a rate which um, takes into account the population of a, st- of a state. You can't just look at raw numbers. You have to look at rates. Um, so uh, Mississippi's rate is very high compared to the national average, which is around 12 per 100,000. So then um, I did see in the uh, statement that you made um, saying that the nation is facing an escalating gun crisis. Um, gun crisis just seems so alarming. Can you kind of expound on what that means? Well, I think it is extremely alarming when we we see this um we have a big jump from 2014 to 2016 um, in the overall gun death rate, and most of it is being, being driven by gun homicides. So it's really something that na- the nation as a whole and states individually really need to focus in on. Um, we, you know, we don't know the exact factors that are driving the increase. We need to do more to understand exactly what is contributing to this increase. It could be, you know, a lot of states are making it a lot easier to carry concealed weapons in a lot of different places. It, it could be, you know, gang-related violence. I mean, we, we really don't know. So part of our sounding the alarm is that we want there to be more focus on understanding what's really going on and what's driving these numbers so that we can help bring them back down. Kristen Rand, Legislative Director for the Violence Policy Center, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Roger Stringer understands the potential danger all too well. In 2011, his son Zachary was handling a gun normally reserved for hunting. Stringer says the gun unintentionally went off changing their family forever. The boys were in the home, and they were there alone. My oldest son had gotten a gun out that he he wasn't supposed to have out unless we were going hunting. But anyhow, it was loaded, and he stood up off the couch. And when he stood up off the couch, the gun went off, and it, well, it killed his little brother. And he panicked, and he tried to fix it so it wouldn't look bad on him and it was immediately obvious to everyone including myself that he was not telling the truth and after that it didn't matter what he said when he tried to come clean nobody would believe it he was tried for murder and he was convicted of culpable negligent manslaughter and sentenced to prison and after he had been in prison about three years four years. I found out the truth about those guns. He said when he stood up, he heard a click, the gun went off, and it just, I just Googled one day, uh, the gun was a Remington rifle, and I Googled Remington Model 700 spontaneous firing, and the whole world opened up for me. All of a sudden, Zach's explanation of what happened that night made sense. So what exactly is Zach doing now? Well, he worked at a tire store for about a year. He actually has tried to go to college, but that's not turning out real well for him. He went through the ninth grade, 
and he got his GED as soon as he got to the uh, Mississippi Department of Corrections facility after he was sentenced. That, coupled with everything else that he has on him now, it has just become a tremendous burden to him, and we have things that we're just going to have to work on before he'll be able to go back to college. The story is just so it's it's so emotional just reading and listening. Um, so with that being an unintentional shooting and Zach being the brother and you being the father, discovering everything, how was that? There are no words in the English language to describe the horror. I mean, I was the first one in the house that night after the incident, and I saw the results of what had happened. It was oh, it was a little over a year after the happening before I had a day where I shed no tears. There is no happiness in my life anymore. I exist for my one surviving child and for the memory of the one that is no longer here. Roger Stringer with MPB's Ashley Norwood. A year after a monumental women's march, we'll find out what progress is being made and why many are still marching. That's coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for On Being on MPB comes from the Memorial Fund of Keith Carlson. This is Mississippi Edition. Women across the country are hoping to recapture lightning when they take to the streets this weekend. It was a year ago that the Women's March drew millions to the streets and drew attention to many issues of particular concern to the women of America. Now, with the country's attention freshly focused on the Me Too movement, women's organizations are marching again. Joining us to talk about what's going on in Mississippi is Talamika Bryce with the Mississippi chapter of a group called Pantsuit Nation. Hi, thanks for being here, Talamika. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So why do you think it's important for Mississippi women to demonstrate? Well, for one, uh, Mississippi has one of the largest number of women-owned businesses here. And with personhood initiatives and the different um, policies that affect the children in the state of Mississippi, I think it's very important for us to lend our voices to the broader narrative of everything and not have someone else speak for us. Do you think the Me Too movement, the the anti-sexual harassment movement, um, has added to the Women's March or added to the need or focus of the Women's March? In a sense, yes. So there were always these underlying issues within the uh, march for for equality for women. So I think the Me Too movement gave a lot of women, well, gave them the courage they need to come out of the shadows and show the solidarity that um, those type of issues, sexual assault, is very common and broad. And it actually, I think, by all of the women speaking up, it gave voice to a a different type of um, behavior that's always been going on that's been really quiet in in the nation and in the world. Pantsuit Nation is a national movement. There are other uh, organizations involved in the marches across the country. Do do women need to be aligned with a particular? political ideology to participate? Absolutely not. Um, it's one of those things that we're all women regardless, and we all want the same thing. We all want we all want better schools for our children. We want to be paid fairly in the workplace. Um, 
we don't want more than anyone else. We just want, well, anyone else being the patriarchy, the, you know, men. We just want the same thing. That's all. Like, we want to be able to um, have uh, parental rights and, and more time off for maternity leave and just different things like that. So, no, that that crosses party line. We're, we're all women. Um Give us some of the details about the march in Mississippi. Well, the march this time around is uh, consists of a very diverse range of, of women from different backgrounds. We also have entertainment by uh, Laurel Isbister and Pam Comfer is going to sing Mississippi Beautiful, the new song that she wrote for the state of Mississippi. And Lori Walker Hall will be sharing her inspirational music as well. Um, Planned Parenthood will be there. Uh, Felicia Brown Williams will be one of our speakers. I will be speaking as well. And um, we are going to be collecting donations for the Homeless Period Project for women in our community that can't afford feminine hygiene products during the time of the month. Before we go, where and what time? It will be Saturday on the steps of the Mississippi Capitol. In Jackson. From 10 to noon. 10 to noon. All right. Thank you so much. Talamika Bryce with the Pantsuit Nation. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you for having me. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, next stop, Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Have a great weekend, and then join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.